Have you ever felt judged for how you've chosen to serve the Lord? Or maybe you felt like your particular giftings didn't measure up in the eyes of someone else. Or uh, maybe you've been beating yourself up over decisions that you really felt like the Lord was leading you to make, but then others reacted negatively towards those decisions. Well, Jesus' friend Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, probably could have said yes to each one of these questions. Remember when Jesus first visited the house of Mary and Martha? Uh, we have that account in Luke. It says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here Martha was using her, her gifting, her gift of service for Jesus, but she was upset that Mary wasn't investing in a similar manner through service like her. And Jesus defended Mary, basically stating to Martha that uh, she was over-concerned, and at that time, it was more appropriate to be listening at Jesus' feet. And then fast forward just a little bit of time, and in John 11, we, we see uh, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus pass away, and they both had disappointingly said, Lord, if, you'd, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But as Jesus called Lazarus back to, to life, Mary and Martha must have grown leaps and bounds in their resting and, and trusting in Jesus, his power and his, his personal love for each of them. And surely they were learning the lesson of being at peace with how they were both created differently and wired for different ways of expressing return love for Jesus. And they must have grown as well in their ability to, to balance out their, their gifts and their skill sets and, and function in them in a healthy way, not be so judgmental of how others function and what God has given them. In this morning's passage, we're going to see that, that Martha is, an, again, expressing love for Jesus through her gift of service. And Mary is expressing her love for Jesus in a different way. And it would appear that Martha has grown in this area. She appears to be cool with serving Jesus while Mary is doing something completely different. But now someone else is picking on Mary and is upset that she has chosen to serve Jesus in a way that he thought she should be serving differently. And as we dig into this passage, it's my hope that we can each be encouraged to use our, our talents, our, our gifts, our abilities to serve Jesus without being judged and without judging others for how they choose to use their gifts abilities and talents to serve him. But before we talk about that, let's back up just a little bit and get into the context of the story. Uh, after raising Lazarus, Jesus left Bethany immediately and he went to the rural city of Ephraim because the religious leaders were fired up and seeking to kill him. Then he circled down to Jericho where he encountered Zacchaeus who repented and received salvation. There Zacchaeus' house, he taught that the kingdom wouldn't be ushered in upon his arrival immediately to Jerusalem, but rather there would be a time where he would leave his servants entrusted with his resources. And his servants are to invest those resources in a land that didn't want Jesus to be their king. 
And he would one day return and reward his servants accordingly to how they invested his resources in his absence. He told them the parable of the minas and, and last week we compared that to the story of the talents and notice that it appears that we have two different types of resources in which we have access to. Uh, there are the talents, the resources that we each have been giving in varying and differing amounts, uh, the skills or finances, giftings, abilities, personal connections, etc. And then there are the minas, the the resources that we each have been giving in the same shared amount, um, same access to, to Jesus, to God, to the Holy Spirit, uh, the gospel message, the scriptures, universal church. And at that time, it was about a week until the Passover celebration in Jerusalem was to take place. And there was a lot of talk about this situation concerning Jesus. He was a, a dead man wanted by the religious leaders. Attempts on his life would surely occur if he was to return to Jerusalem to attend the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover celebration. In fact, by law, all of Israel was required to attend this festival. At the very first Passover in Egypt, God had said these words in Exodus 12, 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are celebrated as a permanent ordinance. So here Jesus was in a tough position. Everyone knew he was required to go, especially him being a man that said he always upheld the law of Moses. And everyone knew the danger of him going as well. And this is why the disciples, knowing that there would be a conflict, were hoping that now the time had finally come where Jesus would uh, finally take his rightful place as king. The religious leaders understood this predicament, and as we begin our passage, we'll see that this is what they were discussing. Look at John 11, verse 55 to 57. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Okay, the, the trap has been set. Orders have been given to report Jesus on sight. Who knows what threats are made towards those that were considering uh, disobeying the command to report a Jesus sighting. And yet, giving these circumstances, what does Jesus do? John 12, verse 1. Exactly. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus runs into the danger, not away from it. He goes to Bethany, a little village two miles from the walls of Jerusalem. He goes to the very doorstep of the men who are seeking to kill him. And it's not just him risking his life. And in spite of the Jesus citing order in verse 57 of the previous chapter, we see that there are others gathering with him. Verse 2. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now, in verses 1 and 2 here in this chapter, John has now mentioned Lazarus twice. I think what's going on here is that this is a special celebration meal in honor of Lazarus being alive and in honor of Jesus who made Lazarus being alive possible. So despite the danger of nearing Jerusalem, here Jesus with, here's Jesus with his followers uh, just two miles away from death. Despite the order to uh, report Jesus on site, here are 
Martha and Lazarus, and as we'll see in the next verse, Mary, and, and surely others throwing a party with Jesus. Looking at Matthew and Mark's account of this event, we see that they were uh, at the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Now, now this is a curious thing. Uh, look again at John eleven fifty five. It appears customary to arrive early for a Jewish festival such as the Passover. Why? In order to purify oneself. People were coming from all over the country, coming to Jerusalem to get checked off by the head priest. It was perhaps like customs at the international airport. Um, have you come prepared with the right sacrifices to offer? Uh, have you finished your menstrual period? Um, have you uh, touched a dead body in the last seven days? Uh, any contact with foreigners? Uh, how about any contact with a leper? Everyone was purifying themselves, uh, making the required animal sacrifices. Uh, they were washing, and putting on clean clothes, seeing the priest, making sure that they were in no way contaminated before the presence of a holy God. And it's in this environment that Matthew and Mark want to make sure the reader knows that Jesus, the disciples, his followers, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were all throwing a party at Simon the leper's house. Either Simon was healed by Jesus somewhere along the way, and his name should have actually been recorded as Simon the ex-leper, or these partiers are really getting crazy in their love for Jesus and embracing this new covenant cleansing that Jesus was just days away from ushering in through his death on the cross. And as if the, the circumstances weren't already wild enough, the story gets even wilder. Verse three, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? So Martha, as we saw in verse two, is investing her unique talent given to her, her gifting of service. As she's preparing the food, she's serving the tea, she's passing out the pita bread. Uh, when Jesus had first met Mary and Martha in the passage that we read earlier, Martha had over-focused on her gifting of service. And she was bashing Mary for not serving alongside her. And again, Jesus defended Mary, and like I mentioned, Martha hopefully is now functioning in her gifting of service in a more balanced way. And now, now we see Mary, who is first seen at Jesus' feet, hanging on to his every word, is still functioning in her talent, her ability to, to love, to connect emotionally, to express honor and reverence. But now, according to Judas, she engages in a financial decision, investing a personal talent resource. Now, perfume would have been very common during that day for women to wear, but it would have just been a little dash from time to time, not uh, used to, to pour out in one setting. Uh, and perhaps not many would have had access to the, the high quality of this expensive kind that Mary had. Perfume would have also been very common for uh, the use of embalming a dead body to cover up the stench of, of rotting flesh. Uh, perhaps Mary and Martha had used a similar perfume for Lazarus when he passed just weeks earlier. And, and here was Mary going through the same process, but with a living body, yet a body that would soon be dead, like Lazarus, and then raised back to life, again, like Lazarus. Nard comes from a plant grown in China, India, Nepal, and it would have come 
through Palestine, to Palestine through a great journey at a great cost. And we don't know how Mary came to own such an expensive resource. Perhaps she and Martha had inherited some wealth. Perhaps it was a gift to her. All we know is that it was a unique resource that she had been personally blessed with. And she chose to break open that vial and pour it all over Jesus. Matthew and Mark tell us that she anointed his head with it and surely a pound of it would have run down over his body with plenty of leftover to anoint his feet. She did this to honor Jesus with a personal resource that perhaps only she amongst the others had at this time. Now, couldn't she have also honored Jesus by selling it and giving money to the poor? Jesus himself has said to disciples to, to sell possessions and give to charity in order to have unfailing treasure in heaven. Yes, she could have honored Jesus by, by selling and giving to the poor, but she chose to honor him in a different way, a unique way, a way in which Matthew and Mark record Jesus as saying, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. You know, when it comes to investing resources, there's often criticism that occurs as a result. I believe, though, that the criticism also often comes from more so from how uh, talents are spent rather than from how minas are spent. Uh, the resources in which uh, we differ, the resources that we don't share, we become really critical and judgmental of how another is using their talents. If someone attempts to use their God-given ability for something, uh, it's easy to be critical and say, well, it would have been better if they had done it like this. Uh, if it had been me, if I had that talent, if I had that money, that opportunity, that position, that responsibility, I would have done it like this. In contrast, it's probably rare to be judgmental over someone using their, their minus. Uh, we probably should get more riled up about brothers and sisters who mismanage their minus share of spiritual resources that we all, all have access to. But you probably don't hear people squabbling much over access and use of, of Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Why? Well, we all have that same shared access. The problem lies more heavily in the things in which we differ, the things that we don't have or the things that we do have that others don't have. It's areas in which we differ that often cause the most problems. Some have this teaching style. Others have a different teaching style. Others don't teach at all. Some are gifted with a singing voice, some with playing an instrument. Some can't sing but are really able to focus on the message of the words of the song. Others are given the boldness to sing loudly whether it sounds good or not. I won't look at anybody. Some feel their hearts connecting with contemporary worship song and others with traditional hymns. Some are really great at engaging with people while others are really great at more behind the scenes type activities. Some are super creative with, and patient with kids, and others are really gifted and caring for older generations. Some are visionaries for the future. Others are really great at being at the moments of the present. Some have been blessed financially, some in skill sets, some in connections with the community, some in wisdom, some in strength, some in patience, some in hospitality. And the idea is that we need to be less concerned with how others are using their talents and more concerned with ourselves using our own talents with the right heart of loving Jesus. Often when we are over-focused on what others are or aren't doing, it's because our hearts aren't right. 
we fool ourselves into feeling righteous about our judgments, but often there's a, a deeper heart issue that's causing us to be concerned about the work or, or the talent use of others. Look at Judas's heart issue in verse six. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And, he ha- as, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Judas had greed, love for money, and selfishness growing in his heart. Uh, these issues have been, that had been growing in his heart ultimately led to him to betray Jesus and to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. In fact, in, in Matthew's account of the story, he records that directly after Judas's attack on Mary, that Judas then, at that time, went to the chief priests asking them what they would give him to betray Jesus into their hands. And then how did Jesus respond to their attack here? Verse seven and eight. Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus doesn't discount giving to the poor, but he gives value to the sacrifice and the use of the talents that Mary has offered. You see, Jesus won't turn away or snub his nose at any offering, at any use of talents, gift, investment, given from a heart that is truly seeking to honor and love him. It's like what we looked at last week with the parable of the the minas. You can't misinvest the resources that God has given you if you are truly seeking to invest them for his kingdom. If the heart is right, if you are honestly seeking to benefit his kingdom and bless his name, then you're not going to lose. The only ones who lose are those who do nothing, who are passive, who, who keep the resources tucked away in the handkerchief. Or those who are like Judas in this passage, who's, whose hearts aren't right and who are judging others' pure gift to Jesus. Instead of anointing Jesus' head and, and feet with a perfume, if, if Mary had sold it and with a passionate heart full of love for her Savior, had cried out, Jesus, uh, with the money I gained from the cell, I, I want to give to the poor in your honor. It would have been just as honoring and just as loving to Jesus. When it comes to the usage of talents and even minas, I believe that Jesus is more concerned with the why than the what, the where, the how. Uh, why are you doing what you are doing? Uh, what is the heart motive behind the way that you live your life? What is the why behind the decisions that you make? If in your heart you can honestly say, I do this because I truly believe that this is the best way I can personally honor Jesus and show my love for him, then you can't go wrong. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But do what this verse says and you can almost pursue anything in life. Do these three things. Trust in him, don't trust in yourself, and in everything, acknowledge him, and you can make any decision you want to. He will make your path straight. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wondering what to do in order to see God? Wondering how to use what God has given you in the best way for his kingdom? Work on being pure in heart. Focus on the, the heart over the what, and you will see God. First Samuel 16, 7. 
God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So often we're over-concerned about the, the visible, the exterior things, but where is God looking? At the heart. What does Jesus say was the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So how do we keep our hearts in check concerning this issue of honoring God with the talents and the minus? Here are three ways based on our passage today. Number one, be less concerned about how others are seeking to honor Jesus and be more concerned about how our own heart is seeking to honor Jesus. Let go of the judgment, the self-righteousness, pride, envy, and focus on your own heart and your own usage of what God has given you to invest in his kingdom. Number two, have grace with each other and with other fellow believers and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them. And often we as believers, we attempt to do the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other believers. And I'm not saying there's not a time to, to speak out and and then call a brother or sister out in their sin or a time to question another's actions, decisions, or, or motives. There's definitely a place for that, but we should be very sensitive to view and to treat others with as much grace as we have been given ourselves, and especially extend grace to those whose hearts are, are right and are sincerely seeking to honor the Lord. Number three, encourage and equip others to pursue honoring Jesus according to the way in which they are wired. Cheer them on. Don't think less of someone if they connect with the Lord in a way that's different than you. If you have a passion for such and such and, and, and perhaps someone else doesn't share that, uh, that person should cheer you on and, and ask that you glorify God in, in the way that their heart is leading them to glorify God. It's okay as long as it lines up with what the Bible teaches. They don't have to be like you. It's, it's a beautiful thing when all of us who are so uniquely made, uh, wired and, and gifted, whether in, in good ways or even in strange ways, uh, with such different personalities, uh, preferences and experiences, it's a beautiful thing when we can all come together and work together as a family seeking to truly honor God. Lord, I ask that you would help us to do just that, to be a unique family made up of unique individuals seeking to to together honor and glorify you. Father, I pray that none of us would hide or bury anything that you've given us, that um, we'd be wise stewards, and that we would even encourage each other to, to be wise stewards and to use what God has given each other. Help us to build each other up and to, to encourage and not to look down or, or judge, but to for this to be a completely safe place, a place where we all are linking arms and, and saying together, as broken as we are, together we want to use whatever we have, whether it's little or great, we want together to use it all for your kingdom, Lord. Help us to be those people. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. Continue to shape and mold our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.